Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is a breaking news episode of Fifth and Mission. On Tuesday, the Supreme Court struck down Roe v. Wade by a 6-3 vote. This reversal will be one of the main legacies of former President Donald Trump. Three of his appointed justices were in the majority. The ruling strikes down the constitutional right to abortion, which was established nearly 50 years ago. This reversal now allows states to drastically reduce abortion access or outlaw it entirely. That's expected in about half of the states. Here's something that might help illustrate what a shocking turn of events this has been. Fifth Emission is a local daily news podcast that debuted in April of 2019. In the show's first two years and five months, We did zero episodes focusing primarily on abortion. Last September, Texas enacted a ban on abortions after six weeks. And since then, we've done more than a half dozen episodes on the subject. We've been thinking about the inevitable fall of Roe a lot, what it means on a national scale, and how the overturning will be felt here in California, where the legal right to abortion will remain. We will have more to say about this news in the days to come. But in the meantime, let's revisit some conversation highlights from previous episodes when we were anticipating this decision, which is now a reality. I'll start with Donna McLean, a former Stanford ICU nurse who remembers a time before abortions were legal. She was one of the people who responded to the Chronicle's call for reactions to the likely end of Roe v. Wade. I was a nurse at Stanford in the ICU in 1968. And I remember very well a young woman that came in to the ICU with sepsis or overwhelming infection after having a botched abortion performed at some place uh, outside the hospital. This was certainly before Roe v. Wade. I can remember the exact room and the bed number that this young woman was in. And oddly enough, I cannot remember her name. She was blonde. She was hemorrhaging. And the smell in the room from the infection was overwhelming. Even as a nurse, I remember it to this day, and this is many, many years later. I consider this barbaric. Please, please do not let us go back to those times. I know all too well what that is like. That was Donna McLean, a former Stanford ICU nurse. She was 79 years old when we last spoke to her in May. That same month, Joe Garofoli spoke with three of the leading abortion rights figures in California. Joe's the host of It's All Political on Fifth Emission and the Chronicle's senior political writer. He interviewed the advocates as they rode a giant pink bus around the Bay Area. It was part of a tour sponsored by Planned Parenthood with the aim of spreading awareness about reproductive rights issues. The first voice you'll hear is Jody Hicks, the CEO and president of Planned Parenthood Affiliates of California. Then you'll hear Jessica Pinckney, the executive director of Access Reproductive Justice, 
And the third voice you'll hear is California Assemblymember Buffy Wicks, who represents parts of Oakland and the East Bay. This was recorded on a moving bus, so there's some road noise. Here's Jody Hicks of Planned Parenthood talking about her biggest concerns from a California perspective. I mean, our biggest concerns is just access to abortion services. So we know that in California we have good laws, but that doesn't mean that we won't be impacted. So we're looking at 36 million women across the country, 26 states that are about to ban access to abortion, and one in four people need abortion services in their reproductive lifetime. So if you follow that math, people need to go out of the state they live in in order to get care. My biggest concern are two things. One is that so many people are needing care that we didn't prepare enough. I think we've been doing that work for a while now, but ensuring that people's wait time here in California isn't impacted too much. But the second is we don't see the influx of patients that we think will need to come to California because that means that they didn't have the resources to get here, and that that's a fear as well. We don't know how many people are coming to California. I mean, when will we know? We don't have a handle on it, right? I mean, I don't know how you do appropriately. We've had this, we've had Roe v. Wade for almost 50 years, and now all of a sudden it's falling and the impact is so swift and so great. And it's so many variables, so it's like it always has been. People with resources will be able to make it out of the state they live in, and people that don't won't. There's a lot that's unknown. Um, I will say we've already been seeing an increase in people coming to California and people in California just calling us for support accessing abortion. So you, you, you each mentioned uh, uh, some of the access issues, some of the prosecution issues in rural California. Uh, we've had a couple of women uh, be prosecuted recently uh, for having experienced stillbirths after using drugs. How often does this happen? And what is your level of concern about this? You know, my concern is that it's a slippery slope, right? And we see what's happening. You know, we've had, I think, what, 1,300 um, prosecutions of folks who've experienced pregnancy loss over the last, I think, 10, 15 years in the country, right? So it happens. But if you see what is happening and what the Republican Party is pushing and the dismantling of rights for people who are um, who need access to this type of care across the state, you look at what's happening in Missouri where um, you, you, they're making IUDs illegal, you know, or IVF illegal, right? Where is this going next? And so that's where I think we have to take a hard line here in California that you cannot be criminally prosecuted for pregnancy loss. On a very macro level, and this is where I'm like the Debbie Downer of every party right now, is what we're, what we're really talking about is if we don't make the proper investments and we have millions of people seeking health care that just don't have any means to get it unless they travel to another place that then is strained and impacted, it doesn't just impact abortion access. It then impacts birth control. So we're going to have some health centers if they're not properly invested in that are going to be so strained with having to provide abortion access and meet those appointments that they won't be able to provide things like birth control 
things like cervical cancer checks, things like breast cancer checks and mammograms. And so in California, you're saying. In, if we're not properly investing and preparing, that's absolutely right. I mean, every health center can only do so much with the funds that they have. And what happens in a world where people are not getting not just abortion access, but they're not getting birth control anymore. They're not getting contraception sex education like it it's a it's a real scary and domino effect if we don't make the right investments that was Jody Hicks of Planned Parenthood affiliates of California Jessica Pinkney of Access Reproductive Justice and East Bay Assembly member Buffy Wicks they spoke to Joe Garofoli on the bans off our bodies bus and that clip was from an episode of It's All Political on Fifth Emission that ran on June 1st The overturning of Roe v. Wade has eliminated constitutional protections for abortion. For Texas residents, abortion access has already been extremely limited since September 1st. That's when Texas passed a law that banned all abortions after six weeks of pregnancy. After that went into effect, pregnant Texans flooded abortion clinics in other states to receive care, including a small one in Oklahoma. Chronicle photographer Gabrielle Lurie spent some time there, and she spoke to some of those women. Again, this was back in September, before Oklahoma passed its own abortion ban at the end of May. It's the first state in the nation to effectively end availability of abortions altogether. We're going to hear from some of the Texas women who were able to get abortion access in Oklahoma before the state banned the procedure. First, let's meet a 33-year-old woman named Judith. She lives in Houston, and she left her four children at home to drive six and a half hours to Oklahoma City to get an abortion. Judith has severe diabetes and other health issues. Her partner has kidney failure, and both of them said there was no way that they could safely care for a new child. I prayed and I listened to my gospel music, but um, I mean... People go through things, and I know I was going through something, and I, I really wasn't ready to bring a baby into this world. Me, neither a father. We both were sickly people, and we we're just not ready. Just if anything is to happen to us, who's going to take care of our baby? Chronicle photographer Gabrielle Lurie also spoke to a 20-year-old Texas resident named Courtney who didn't have full support from her family and friends. She started having seizures when she was pregnant, and she was afraid for her life. For her, getting an abortion was about staying alive. Here's a snippet of Gabrielle's conversation with Courtney. So what would you have done if this clinic wasn't available to you? I would have tried to force a miscarriage. I'm that desperate at this point because I know what would happen if I would go to term. Even if I would have been prosecuted somehow for murder or attempted murder, Mm -hmm. I still would have done it because at least I'd be alive. The reason I'm actually getting an abortion is I'm worried about what it would do to my mental health and my physical health and just my relationship with the rest of my family. My aunts and uncles, they're raised Catholics to the point where it's abusive. So if they find out that I'm not married and I have a child, they would isolate me from the rest of the family. So going to term with this is not an option for me with that. 
That was a clip from our September 24th episode where Chronicle photographer Gabrielle Lurie spoke to pregnant Texans who traveled to Oklahoma to seek abortions. Their experiences are reflective of the new reality for many pregnant people across the country. With the death of Roe v. Wade, people from states with restricted or zero abortion access will now face limited options for ending their pregnancies. We'll be right back. You can support the newsroom that creates Fifth Emission by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. I'm neither proud nor ashamed of the decision to have an abortion in 1977. After putting each other through school and having two children, my husband and I were finally in a position where we could both work and provide well for our family. I'm eternally grateful that I was able to have a legal therapeutic abortion very early on and there were no regrets. I am now 74 years old and cannot imagine what my life would have been like with a third child. I want to share my story now as I am not alone and livid that the right to choose may be taken away from women. Initially, I was going to ask my letter to be anonymous. We shouldn't have to have our private lives shared, but this is too important to let pass. Gail Suley responded to our call a few weeks ago for reactions to the end of Roe v. Wade. That was likely at the time. Now, it's reality. The Supreme Court today issued a ruling in a Mississippi case that overturns that 49-year-old settled law. On this breaking news episode of Fifth Emission, we are revisiting some of our coverage of the last few months as abortion rights came under attack in a number of states and it became clear the Supreme Court would overturn Roe. Rebecca Taub is an East Bay obstetrician and gynecologist who traveled to other states like Kansas and Oklahoma in order to provide abortion services to people who otherwise wouldn't have access. Earlier, you heard snippets of reporting from Chronicle photographer Gabrielle Lurie. She collected those voices as she shadowed Dr. Taub. On May 12th, Dr. Taub was my guest on Fifth Emission. A draft version of the ruling overturning Roe v. Wade had just leaked from the Supreme Court. Here's a portion of my conversation with Dr. Rebecca Taub reacting to that news. The Guttmacher Institute estimates that the number of out-of-state women of childbearing age whose nearest abortion clinic would be in California would increase by 3,000 percent if Roe v. Wade is struck down. The state, of course, is bracing itself for this influx, and you've spent a lot of time providing abortion care services to women who had to travel far to receive it. Tell me, what is it like treating women under those circumstances? How does that change your role as a provider? There are definitely considerations when people are coming from so far away, when you are not going to be able to see people for follow-up or, you know, when you're counseling people about complications and know that they may not be able to seek care in their home state if that is happening to them. It definitely sort of just changes the calculus about how you counsel people. We know that abortion is an incredibly safe procedure, but, you know, people do sometimes need follow-up care, and it definitely makes it more challenging when people are coming from very far away or might not be able to, you know, come back for a timely follow-up. And then the other thing is when people have to make 
arrangements to be able to travel such a long distance, whether that's driving or booking a plane, the expense, and then also the time, the time away from work, the childcare that they may need. Um, it means that people are presenting to clinics at later gestational ages. And as I said, abortion is a very, very safe procedure, safer than childbirth, but it is safer the earlier that you do it in pregnancy. And so that means that um, we are certainly going to be seeing, seeing people presenting later in pregnancy, which is one of the many reasons that we know that these abortion restrictions have nothing to do with the safety of pregnant people and have everything to do with just controlling reproduction. We've been hearing that rural or low-income California residents might feel the brunt of this. Is that right? Yes, I think that's absolutely correct. I think both in California and nationwide, the people who are going to be disproportionately affected by these laws are going to be Black pregnant people, people of lower socioeconomic status, people of color, and then certainly people in rural areas already have decreased access to care. And I think particularly in California, where there is generally good access, people in rural areas are um, often the ones who, you know, are sort of living in a situation where they are already far from a clinic kind of similar to states that are more restrictive. That's Dr. Rebecca Taub, an OBGYN who's been traveling to provide abortion services in states where access is limited. Next, here's a portion of a conversation that my colleague Joe Garofoli had with Minnie Timaraju. Joe is the host of It's All Political on Fifth Emission and a Chronicle senior writer. Minnie Timaraju is the president of NARAL Pro-Choice America. She chatted with Joe for an episode that dropped on April 13th. What does the post-Roe world look like? Some people are going to have the means to travel to other states. Many women, uh, many people aren't. What will that world look like? The good news is in some places that are tough, like Michigan, you have folks like a Governor Whitmer who is uh, litigating now in advance of even the ballot initiative. Like she's trying to get ahead of it. It's also such an important moment to understand the power of governors and attorney generals and state legislatures. And a lot of Americans, when they think about abortion, when they think about their constitutional rights, they think about the Supreme Court, they think about Congress. But now we need them to shift their attention to who's running the Capitol in my state, who's the Speaker of the House, which party has the majority in the legislature, in the House and the Senate. Do most Americans even know who uh, controls the party in their uh, capital region? They probably don't. We are seeing a landscape of 28 some odd states where there's going to be some kind of fight. It's a, it's a very grim landscape, but the good news is there are great candidates running up and down the ticket in those states who are forward thinking and who are ready to fight back. But it's still going to be very challenging. How will this decision, if Roe falls, affect the midterms? It's such a good question. And, you know, you hit the nail on exactly what our entire strategy is. So NARAL is, you know, in addition to being a policy advocacy organization, we have a very large C4 political action, electoral component. We have a once in a lifetime historic opportunity to mobilize and wake up, not just women voters, but the eight out of 10 Americans who care about reproductive freedom and support the constitutional right to abortion and support Roe. Poll after poll after poll, Democrats and independent polls, Wall Street Journal poll recently show the majority of Americans support access. They support this constitutional right. They support Roe. Where it gets a little tricky is they don't necessarily understand the difference between 15 weeks and 22 weeks and a six-week ban and our job is going to be making it crystal clear to the American public and to the electorate that the fall of Roe is a, hist a historic moment 
where a large group of citizens will lose a constitutional right, something that has not happened in decades in this country, we're going to go backward. So there's two groups that we're really focused on. It's our democratic base who this issue polls in the top three most motivating issues to get them to the polls. So if we do our job right, we can get them activated to participate in a midterm, which is always a great thing because as we know, midterms are tough. But then we have a large group of persuadable voters who don't like government overreach. The extremist GOP tactics around this don't appeal to them. Minnie Timaraju is the president of NARAL Pro-Choice America speaking in May. Let's give the last word to a listener who responded to our call for thoughts on the likely end of Roe v. Wade before that ruling came down. This San Francisco woman asked us to not use her name. I was 17 in 1969 when I gave birth to a baby boy. I was alone when my water broke, and I had no idea what was happening. I was never given any preparation for labor. I was alone as I endured labor and birth with no support. I was at a Catholic, quote, charities, quote, hospital. And as I cried after his birth, I was told by the nurse, you made your bed, so stop feeling sorry for yourself. I wouldn't wish an unwanted pregnancy on a dog. The trauma is still raw. This has been a breaking news episode of Fifth and Mission. Follow Fifth and Mission for continuing coverage of the Roe v. Wade decision and its aftermath. You can also visit The Chronicle at sfchronicle.com and on The Chronicle app. Thanks to Fifth and Mission producers King Kaufman, Taya Francesca Price, and Karen Creighton, and to you for listening. <laughs>